Hi. Hello. I am Christina Smethurst, and I am your podcast host for today. Kai is away, your usual person. He's on vacation up in his family farm in Kispiox Valley, and we are happy for him. He deserves a good break. But in the meantime, here I am. I'm sorry for those of you listening. I don't have the smooth voice that Kai does, but I am going to do my best to let you know what's up in the dogwood world. Um, so today we're actually recording from Victoria. That's where I live. Normally it comes to you from the abandoned car wash in Burnaby. Today I'm looking out at a beautiful day in Victoria, sun is shining, and we're getting ready to see the first legislative session start. That's going to be at the end of this week. Premier Horgan and his new government are going to be outlining their priorities in the throne speech. Christy Clark had one, if you recall, not too long ago, um, with some shock and awe. What will John Horgan's version of this throne speech have in store? I don't know. It hasn't happened yet. I don't have a crystal ball. I wish I did. That'd be really fun. It'd be great to take to parties. But in the meantime, I'm going to talk to some very knowledgeable ladies. My girl Lisa, my girl Ari, my girl Sophie, all going to talk about the campaigns that they are running like bosses. Ban Big Money, Beyond Coal, and No Tankers campaigns. Stay with us. Okay, first up, we have Lisa Sammartino, our democracy campaigner, and she's here in Victoria in with Victoria. me, which makes me very excited. Usually we work in different offices. Lisa's usually out of the Vancouver office. It's a Victoria invasion. Yay! It's a good invasion. I'm happy about it. Okay, cut that out. Um, <laughs> that's terrible. Don't put that in. Okay, so let's talk about ban big money, the corruption inquiry, what's going on. There's we have the legislature sitting soon, which I know is more exciting to you than your anniversary that's coming up. <laughs> well, I have so many. Of that's those. true. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> one a year at least. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about this. What's I, going on? Well, yeah. So we do have the throne speech this week. We're having yet another throne speech. Yet another one. And uh, and last one, I was in Victoria for the last one. Oh, and yeah. I was, we were in a meeting and I was on Twitter trying to see what was going on. <laughs> I mean, I was paying attention. Of course you were. Yeah. And there was a big flip-flop. Christy Clark went through my whole time being democracy campaigner, um, saying she wasn't going to ban big money, that it wasn't important. And all of a sudden she was like, this is important. And here's, here's what it's going to look like. Um... Probably won't be the same surprises this round. Of course, Horgan's MEP has been saying they were going to ban big money for a long time. Mm -hmm. They're still saying they're going to. Do you think they're going to right away? I, I have no reason not to think they are. Um, they are planning some fundraisers coming up in the fall, um, which is frustrating, mm -hmm. I have to say. Uh, but I, they have said this legislative priority. And, uh, and so we're just trying to give them a helping hand, let them know that this is really what we want and... And, uh, and show them some support on this. Yeah, so we're going to be asking our people what they think a ban big money legislation would look like. Yeah, so we sent out a survey asking our people um, about, you know, some like more nuanced parts of the legislation. We know, of course, corporations and unions, we don't want their donations. Um, we don't want out-of-province donations. We want a cap on individual. What that cap looks like, we're not really sure. Um, but this campaign has been from the very beginning. It's been from the people, for the people, by the people, all the people. <laughs> all the people. And, uh, and so we really want the legislation to reflect what British Columbians want. 
Um, so there's things in there like, should this same legislation apply to municipal campaigns? Because the government can actually write that in. Um, should there be um, real-time disclosures for donations? Um, you know, what should there be a lower election spending limit? So there's all these different nuances that we really want to solicit feedback and then present to the government to help them with their legislation. Yeah, they might need some help because we've never seen any political donation legislation in BC. That's exactly it. And they're saying um, that it's really complicated. Um, they want it to be bulletproof. Um, so we're just going to lend them a hand. And then in the meantime, they're going to keep fundraising, it would seem. Yes. Um, and they say that they can't risk the competitive disadvantage that might come from not fundraising. I mean, putting a ban or like limits on fundraising this fall for everybody mm -hmm. would help with that. Um, so we really hope we see that. Great. And you also have another little baby called the Corruption Inquiry. I do. What's um, new? Well, and as you said, because BC's never had laws to govern fin political financing before, um, we don't really know if and how corruption can seep its way into our system and influence the decisions that are made. Um, and in other places, like Quebec or the federal system, they've used an inquiry model to figure that out. Um, I mean, we've done a lot of research on this in Dogwood. I've talked a lot about this, um, where donation was given and then a contract or a law or a permit or an approval was given. Um, and the timeline's a little fishy, but of course we can't can actually determine if it's caused by the donation because we aren't a court of law and we can't examine evidence and we can't subpoena witnesses, but an inquiry can. Yeah, and we've been having a lot of uptake on it, I've noticed, in the media. Yeah, people are... It's, I, I was surprised because we didn't actually do any media outreach. It came completely organically, and, um, and I did a radio show a couple weeks ago, and people were phoning in like, completely in... Um, support of an inquiry. I, it really feels like people are thirsty for this, and I, I think it says a lot about how decisions have been made in the past. People really want input into how their decisions are made. I know I do. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. And uh, I know you're going to talk to Anna a little later. We're, um, we're going to be doing out in the ground, doing some um, door knocking and petitioning for the Corruption Inquiry come October. Yeah, knock, knock the block. October. Noctoberfest. Knock the Blocktober. Yes, Noctoberfest. Yes. I can't wait. Me neither. It's going to be really great. Well, thanks so much for talking to me. Not that you had a choice. Haha. -ha. I have a microphone and a very determined spirit. So. <laughs> that you do. Thank you for not fighting with me. Next up, I'm going to be talking to Ari Ross, our coal campaigner. Hey, Ari. Hey, Christina. How's it going? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm ready to hear about coal. What you got? Well, I think this is going to be a really exciting year for the coal campaign. Yeah. We're working with all the provincial parties um, to advance a strategy to end the free ride for thermal coal. Mm -hmm. Now, I know we have the throne speech coming up, and I'm not quite sure if the NDP will actually say anything about thermal coal. That's kind of up, you know, up in the air. We'll have to wait and see. Um, but regardless, we're getting a lot of pickup um, on our new policy proposal to end the free ride for American thermal coal uh, through BC ports. Mm -hmm. And we're getting that from pretty much every side of the political spectrum, including the BC liberals. Shout out to um, Ian Payton in Delta South. He's my MLA. And we had a really great meeting 
uh, talking about the free ride that American coal is getting through our community. He's a farmer, so he understands how um, coal trains can impact the health of crops and people in Delta. Huh. Mm -hmm. So the liberals have shown interest in taxing U.S. coal coming through our ports. Yes. The way that coal is taxed from Canadian sources, B.C. sources. B.C. sources. Right. Mm -hmm. So American trains are not getting taxed. And we had the NDP who are waiting to see. (laughs) What's the holdup? That's a good question. I I think it's partly due to the fact that they still haven't banned corporate and union donations. Mm. One of their larger donors is the United Steelworkers, who are representing a lot of coal interests. And have any of the volunteer teams presented any of the health impact studies to any of the MLAs they've met with? I mean, I know you were showing me a stat the other day. It was really really gross. It was about infant mortality. Yeah. What's that all about? Um, Yeah. So in Longview, Washington, there's a proposal to export 44 million tons of thermal coal. That's the same coal that would be coming from the Powder River Basin to BC ports. Um, And they did a final environmental impact statement, which is, you know, the result of two years worth of research and uh, trying to understand exactly what the impacts of thermal coal would be on communities in Washington. Of course, BC hasn't actually done that yet, um, but what we saw in that study was that um, an increase in coal storage and shipments could lead to up to a 6.6% increase in in infant mortality rates. And that's because the air quality is worse in those areas? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So particulate matter in the the air Mm -hmm. messes with everyone's lungs. So the coal trains going through the communities in BC... Mm-hmm. that have coal particulates in the air. Yeah. We could probably put the same assessment on those communities, do you think? Well, yeah. And I mean, I think at the end of the day, the important piece is just that there are studies happening in America about this and about the dangers of thermal coal. And in BC, we've had no comparable study. Um, and so we really don't know the facts about uh, what the impacts of this dirty product are on our health and our communities. Terrifying. Mm-hmm. I don't live in a community where coal trains go through. But I couldn't imagine what people have to deal with when, by no choice of their own, they're having to breathe in that yucky air. Exactly. And it could hurt their kids. Totally. What the F? I know. And actually, I was in Tawasin yesterday, um, which is where my hometown is, of course, as you might know. (laughs) Uh, And I saw a coal train just rolling up to the port at West Shore, which happens pretty much every day. Did it have a shirtless man on it? No, it didn't. Because <laughs> that's a thing. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know, last week um, in Spokane, Washington, uh, there was a shirtless man sitting in <laughs> one of the cars of a, like a thermal coal train from Burlington, Northern Santa Fe, which is the same uh, rail company that would be transporting thermal coal to BC uh, for export at the Fraser Surrey Docks Project. Um, no one knows why he was short, shirtless and also in this coal train. But and he rolled. He rode the entire way from California to Washington. No, he was oh, only God. in there for like fifteen minutes. But <gasps> he was also getting a free ride, if you know what I mean. Yep, sure do. Well, thanks, Ari. Cool. Thanks for talking to me. Yeah, it was fun. This was fun. This is great. Thanks see for you, having me. See you ten feet away in my office. Sounds good. <laughs> no, see you ten feet away in our office. I'll be there. <laughs> thanks. Next up, we have, through the magic of technology, our No Tankers campaigner, Sophie Harrison, 
I'm looking at her on a laptop in our Burnaby office. Sadly, she's not with me in Victoria. I wish she were. But at least we have microphones and computers so that we can communicate with one another. And our podcast listeners can hear all about what's going on with the No Tankers campaign. So, without further ado, what's going on with the No Tankers campaign? Wow! What a question! Um, It's been an exciting summer going into a very exciting September. Um, We have a BC government that is opposed to the Kinder Morgan Pipeline and Tanker Project. Um, They've joined some of the federal legal challenges. They're hoping to join some of the federal legal challenges as interveners. They've hired a really legendary Indigenous rights lawyer, Thomas Berger, to manage the file for them. Um, So lots of excitement coming from our new government. But, of course, all this while, Kinder Morgan is still saying in the news they want to start construction and put shovels in the ground Yeah, this September. What's up with that? What are they talking about? What can they actually do? We know they can't start construction on any public land. They've got their private land they can start digging up to their heart's content. What are they talking about? Yes, it is the question of the hour. Uh, We know that Kinder Morgan doesn't have all the permits it needs from the B.C. government, we just heard they also don't have all the uh, permits and authority they need from the federal government, says the National Energy Board. We don't think they have permits from the municipal governments that they need to finish their tank farm. And we know they don't have permission from the First Nations whose land they want to build on. Um, so it's pretty fascinating and exciting to see. I think, you know, it could be possible we could see some limited construction this month. But I think what we will all know as the No Tankers team is that um, – at the end of the day, Kinder Morgan still doesn't even have a route approved through Chilliwack, let alone the ability uh, to finish their construction on schedule. And that means we have a lot of opportunities as a movement to keep applying pressure on the government, on industry, um, to, to win this thing. I feel pretty darn good about that. Better than ever before. <laughs> Me too. But what are those sneaky sneaks doing? Like, who are they putting on this show for? Investors yeah. is my best guess. Um, I think Kinder Morgan has managed to dupe a whole bunch of folks through their initial public offering on the Toronto Stock Exchange into putting money towards this project. And Kinder Morgan wants to keep those folks happy for as long as they can. Uh, They literally have a clause in their IPO prospectus that says that, you know, due to any number of reasons like a First Nations legal battle or opposed government in a certain province known as the graveyard of the pipelines, this pipeline might never get built. But... Um, they're trying to keep those investors as happy as they can for as long as they can. So they, they're going to want to come up with at least one photo shoot of themselves putting some shovels in the ground, even if that isn't allowed on any public land in BC, therefore the vast majority of the route. Hmm. Okay. So we've got a government who seems to be taking steps in the right direction to make sure that British Columbians are protected from this oil tanker project. We have a company who is sort of putting out the vibe that they're going to start digging. We know that's not true. We know they don't have the permits. We know there are way more steps that they have to take. What's coming up in the next month or so on the campaign? What's What other things are happening that will have an impact on whether or not Kinder Morgan's going to be able to move ahead? Well, the first thing we're going to do is keep the pressure up on our BC government to use all the tools they have in their toolbox to stop this dangerous pipeline and oil tanker project. 
Uh, they've taken some great initial steps, but what they haven't done is exercise all their jurisdiction to stop ongoing provincial permitting and cancel any current permits that have been handed over. So that step one is for us to really keep the pressure up on our provincial government to keep their promise. We know they will, but we know they're going to need a lot more public pressure to be able to make that happen as quickly as possible. And the second exciting thing relates to our federal government, and those are court dates for the 16 federal legal challenges against Kinder Morgan, most of which come from First Nations. Um, those, All those legal challenges are going to be coming to town in unceded Coast Salish territories of downtown Vancouver, October 2nd through 12th this fall. So that'll be another great opportunity for us to show up and support all of our Indigenous allies that are bravely challenging this project in court. Awesome. So all the um, Indigenous um, cases against Kinder Morgan have been combined into one chunk. Is that right? Is that normal? Is that good, bad? Do we have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, the government is trying to do it for, the courts are trying to do it for expediency. There's a lot of, obviously, similar features of all these legal challenges. They all pertain to the same pipeline and oil tanker project expansion. Um, So they've bundled them all together for the purposes of hopefully expediting the hearings. But the key thing to remember is if in the case of any individual First Nation that's challenging this project in court, the federal government failed to uphold their duty to adequately consult and accommodate, that decision could strike down the pipeline approval for the whole pipeline route. There only has to be one nation where they screwed up. So if the finding is, say, the Coldwater First Nation really concerned about their aquifer, their sole source of drinking water for their community, um, if they're saying, for instance, how can you possibly be properly consulting and accommodating us if you don't have a proper plan to keep toxic substances out of our drinking water, that a finding like that from a court could be enough to strike down the, the whole project. How are you so smart? You just know all these things. I just want to talk to you all day. Unfortunately, we don't have the rest of today. I mean, I guess we could, but that's a lot of talking. Um, I would love to geek out on pipelines with yeah. you forever, Christina. <laughs> but, you know, you've got a pipeline company to fight, and I'm planning on helping you with that. So we should probably wrap it up now so we can get back to that. But thank you so much for talking to me. It's always a joy. Wish you My were here. Pleasure. <laughs> Thanks, Christina. Okay. Bye, Soph. Okay, that's a wrap for this month. Thank you so much for allowing me to be the voice of Dogwood in this podcast. Not that you had any choice. I'm sorry. It was me. I was your only choice. Kai is away. But hopefully he'll be back in October. Um, Our favorite month here at Dogwood. We host Knock the Block, which we're really excited about. Um, If you like the podcast or you want to let us know what you think, give us a shout out on Twitter at DogwoodBC or on Facebook. Just Facebook search Dogwood. Um, and hey, what is Knock the Block, by the way? During what we like to call Knocktoberfest, uh-huh, we ask our supporters to talk to their friends and neighbors about the issues that matter to them. Last year, more than 1,200 British Columbians across the province signed up to Knock Their Block, and we're hoping that we're going to have even more this year. Here's Dogwood's remote organizer, Anna, to tell us about what Knocktoberfest has in store this year. Hi, Christina and Dogwood podcast listeners. Thanks for having me on today to talk about my favorite month, Noctober. Technically, Noctoberfest is our celebration that comes at the end. I have always loved October. The weather gets cooler, the trees turn beautiful colors, and the fall harvest comes in. There are so many potlucks to attend, I can't always keep them straight. October is about community coming together after an exciting summer to reconnect, share updates, and build bonds to last us all through the winter hibernation. October is always a great time to talk politics. And that's exactly what Noctober 
is all about. BC has had a tumultuous political summer and a bizarre political past. The provincial government seems to have gotten away with a few things. We know that corruption and insider favors have been a part of BC's history dating back as far as colonization, but now enough is enough. Which is why this year we're gonna be running Noctober to grow our power to force a corruption inquiry in BC. We all know that political financing is an issue in our province. Federally and in Quebec, a corruption inquiry was what was able to suss out exactly what happened so that proper rules tailored to the look and feel of the issues at those levels could be brought in. To trigger an inquiry, we, the citizens of British Columbia, have to create the political climate to force our representatives to make good on their promise and to bring in an independent commission to do this. Which is why in October, we need our supporters to pack a clipboard to bring to those potlucks and gatherings to ask your folks what matters to them, what they'd like to see done about it. Chances are, no matter if they care about grizzly bears, forestry jobs, wild salmon, or the safe operations of mines, they will have been touched by corruption. We're asking our supporters to help us identify other supporters in the crowd. Not to convert anyone, but to bring together like-minded folks under this Dogwood campaign. That sounds so exciting. How can people get involved? Thanks, Christina. I'm excited too. And if you're excited, you can sign up on our website or email me at anna at dogwoodbc.ca. Thanks so much, Anna. We're definitely looking forward to hearing more about that. This is our seventh podcast. And if you've liked us so far, please subscribe and give us a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud. I promise all of those are actual things. <laughs> or wherever you listen to your voices from. Okay, that's it. That's it for me. I'm Christina Smethurst from Dogwood. And this podcast is officially over. Thank you.